Hello, and welcome to The Runs, the podcast in which we talk about runs of comic books. I'm your host, Ryan Alexander Tanner, and I will be talking this week with comics living legend Dean Haspiel about Jack Kirby's OMAC, the whole thing, issues one through eight. First, I'll tell you about OMAC. Uh, Let me know if I leave anything out. OMAC was created by Jack Kirby in 1974 is a later creation in his DC Comics era. After New Gods was canceled, uh, he replaced it with this series. It's set in a new near future. Uh, it's its own continuity. It's not related to any other DC series, as far as I know. It only ran for eight issues and then was canceled. I'm sure we'll talk about that abrupt ending when we get to it, because quite abrupt. Uh, it's about a one-man army corps who works for a global peace agency in a bleak vision of the future. He's aided by the satellite, Brother I. I'm going to be interested in your take on Brother I. Dean Haspiel. First, let me tell you about Dean Haspiel. Uh, He's about as New York as a cartoonist can be. You may have seen him at a convention. He was the guy with no shirt on. He's known for both mainstream superhero work and indie comics. He created Billy Dogma and the Red Hood. He's worked on American Splendor with Harvey Pekar. Uh, He drew a Thing miniseries for Marvel. I want to ask you a little bit about the Thing in a minute. Um, he won an Emmy for the titles for Bored to Death. He's also the basis of a character. Uh, to me, he'll always be the mother hen of the Brooklyn comics scene. Uh, what more is there to say about Dean Haspiel? Welcome, Dean. Thank you, Ryan. That's really kind of you. The only the only one correction I need to make in your introduction is it's the Red Hook. And I oh no, the Red Hood because uh, isn't that a that's a DC character? Right? That's uh, Jason yeah, yeah. Todd, the second. That's right. I, you know what? That happens all the time. That happens all the time. Listen, I had a publisher. <laughs> got, I had publishers always get my last name right, uh-huh. but in solicitations. But I have been Dan Haspiel, uh, David Haspiel. I've been Bean Haspiel. With Ooh, the B, yeah. But the worst one was Dead Haspiel. Oh, yeah. Just uh, swapped the N for a D. And I was like, really? Come on now. You got to catch that one. You know? said not yet. I'm always Ryan Tanner Alexander, and that yeah, really, really bugs me. <laughs> I know. Really bothers me when that happens, especially if I've known someone a long time. I'm really hurt by it. Yeah. Right. Well, and it will continue to be painful, I think, in your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going anywhere. Um, but anyway, I, it's my own bad handwriting is the reason for that. It's not a lack of regard for your wonderful oh, that's, creation. That's- Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and we will be talking about the Red Hook in conjunction to OMAC later on. So can't wait. So I reached out to you to do this show desperately. I was desperate to have you on the show. And um, you threw out all, I think, a couple of options, but they're all 70s Kirby, right? I, I believe so, uh, including um, a Trevor Von Eden series called Thriller. But, oh, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. But you mentioned 2001, and I couldn't figure out how to read it. I have the oversize hmm. single issue 2001, which is like the most beautiful thing ever printed. But that was too hard. I would really like to have read that, but it was too... It, I, guess I think those were 10 cool. issues. I think he did 10 issues, and that's where he introduces uh, Machine Man, if I'm correct, yep. in, in that series. So, And but, you know what? I've never read that series, which is one oh. reason I wanted to read it with you. Uh, whereas OMAC, I revisit often. So why did you want to, what's your relationship with OMAC? So I came to OMAC, listen, I was born in 1967. The comic comes out in 1974. So I had no idea about the comic in 74. Uh, I must have 
learned about Omac. I mean, maybe I'd heard about him. He was a hint of a character, maybe in the background somewhere of a DC comic. But I didn't know about the Kirby run probably until the 90s, the late Mm. 90s, maybe even. And, you know, once I started to wrap my head around Jack Kirby, because for a lot of people, I think when you're when you first, um, you know, see a Jack Kirby comic as a kid, it's kind of frightening. It's he defines the word grotesque. He's really they're ugly. Yeah, he's kind of ugly, but also there's a romantic beauty to it. And, you know, slowly but surely you start to realize what he's doing and, and how awesome it is. But also don't forget, like. When I'm looking at new Kirby work as a kid, it's usually just a cover or a fill-in or something. Hmm. And that was the latter Kirby, you know, and he was, you know, getting old and losing his eyesight and his hand was shaky and whatnot. So, you know, it was like those superpowers he did for DC. So I wasn't attracted to that. I was growing up on John Byrne, George Perez and those guys, you know, like, and, but meanwhile, you'd still see a Jack Kirby cover pop up here and there. And then you learn, oh, he was like the co-creator of the Marvel universe and all these comics I love, right? So you have to, you know, eventually do a deep dive if you're a comics fan mm-hmm. and just like Steve Ditko and other other artists, you know. So, of course, everyone knows Stan Lee. Stan Lee is everywhere. Right. Uh, so um, when I started to, uh, you know, get every issue of the Fantastic Four or any other comics, you know, that he illustrated and and then you realize oh he he, he defected and went to DC Comics mm-hmm. and started doing New Gods and Commandy and all these other comics is when I, I, I came across something called OMAC. I was like, what's an OMAC? And then you realized it stands for One Man Army Corps. And I'm like, yo, that is fresh. <laughs> like, what is a One Man Army Corps? And what's it about, right? So I don't know if I read some of the comics and then like was my mind was blown. There's so much stuff happening in these comics, which you know, you've read it for the first time for this conversation, right? You've never read Gomac before. No, yeah, that was, yeah. Right. So I'm really curious to know your take because so much is happening, so many ideas. And then you realize a lot of these ideas are, are prescient. Like some of these things yeah. he's talking about is came true today and being yeah. talked about today. Um, and who knows how much uh, of the kitchen sink he was throwing at the wall at these comics, right? And just winging it. But even in winging it, he was such a pro and had so many great ideas that like, even if this is kind of like, you know, the bathwater of his work, you know, that he just splashing around it, it to me was, was amazing. Um, and so it started to like really, it, it affected the way I thought about comics in that one of the things I did is I've illustrated other people's real life stories, Jonathan mm-hmm. Ames, Harvey Picar, and Bernard Lopez. And I've also done my own like semi-autobiographical comics, but you know, that's, that is, th- those stories are culpable to the truth and culpable to chronology and time and plausibility, right? What I love about what comics can do as well as cinema and any other storytelling medium is when it can stretch your, your mind and expand, you know, ideas and even get absurd to the point where it's, it's ridiculous. Right. And I felt like OMAC was, ridiculous and so much fun it it it, it presented fun as you're reading these ideas i start laughing Mm -hmm. i was just reading it again today and i'm laughing at stuff i already know about because it's great you know and it's inspiring and it 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 makes you want to pick up a pencil and draw a comic book it really does yeah and 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 because it's latter latter day kirby it's less intimidating because there's some 
there's some prime Kirby, like in the middle of his FF run or when he's doing Thor, we're like, God damn, like this is incredible. I could never draw like this guy, but latter day Kirby later on, he starts to like, you know, get old, like I said, and it starts to look like, like YA novel, graphic novel art kind of stuff. Like when you look at this um, OMAC stuff, take another look at it. You'll see it's very kid friendly to look at, Hmm. you know? Um, And so what it also did is, it, like I said, it inspired me to think different, to think about, you know, mashing up ideas that probably don't belong in the same room or in the same place, mm-hmm. you know, or the same sentence. You know, there there are so many sentences you can pull out of OMAC alone that you're like, can you believe he just wrote this? Totally. This is, but you know what? You go with it. He just grabs your hand and he pulls you along and says, I'm making this shit up, too. You know, like you can tell he's just making it up. You know, like I know. A lot of fiction stories is made up, of course, but it's also rooted a little bit in reality. And he's commenting on society. He's commenting on technology and and every issue. In fact, on the cover, I'm going to pull out the comic right now. On the cover, he says, you know, uh, it says a startling look into the world that's coming. Right. And he keeps saying that in every issue. It's about the world that's coming. It's almost like a warning, (laughs) you know. And then later on, when I discovered that this was basically an idea he had for future Captain America. Did you know that? I I did because I read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> okay, right, right. Okay, so in the Wikipedia, but but Mark Evan Year uh, writes about that and how this was something he was working on and developing for a potential idea for like what, you know, if Captain America is always going to be around, what would a future Captain America be like, Right. And so this is what, and then of course that didn't happen, but while he was at DC, he had to come up with another comic book because he had lost the gig, right? So he just probably went to his file and went, oh, okay, there's this Captain America idea I'm not going to use. Why don't I, I, you know, change it up a little bit and write about a different kind of future. And later on, other DC Comics authors, writers and artists made the match that he was Commandy's grandfather which is apparently canon in the DC universe. Yeah, that's at the end of Commandy, I think, right? In the yeah, which like Kirby like, didn't do. Which right, he, which he didn't do and um it's probably not even was meant to be. Anyway, yeah. uh but I don't know, man, like every issue like he, he presents this idea and in in rereading it, this is the first time I realized something and and let me know what you think about this. There's this uh agency called the, the GPA, uh, the Global Peace Agency, right? And there are these characters that basically spray their face orange yeah. so they have no identity, yep. right? Because they want to be like a, a everyone, anyone and everyone, right? And which is an interesting idea because of the uh, identity politics, you know, we're dealing with in, in today, you know, hmm. in 2022, where everyone is like, wants to see themselves represented. But he hmm. was playing with the idea of no representation that we are all like one big Benetton ad or something, you know? Hmm. And I thought that was interesting, but what's also interesting is that because they're a peace agency, they do not uh, impart any kind of violence. They will not be violent. They're against like weapons and all this stuff. Meanwhile, they're the ones who basically with this guy, Dr. Forrest create this like powerful satellite called brother. Eye. That can literally beam powers or change your DNA 
you know, and create this OMAC character out of this guy named Buddy Blank. And Buddy Blank, the name alone, yeah. tells you that he's a nobody, right? Yeah. He's just this, and in a way, there's also the Captain America, you know, analog, you know, like contrast, which is like a, a skinny twerp that that's graced with certain powers to become this this kind of like man god, right? Uh, and he becomes like this this uh, uh, god of war. Uh, Buddy Blank becomes Omac. Uh, and I don't even know if it's against his will because it just kind of happens. Yeah, and there's very little investigation into who Betty Bloody, Buddy Blank is or what it means to him, or he's right. just like a non-entity, basically. Right, and and so like with all these ideas happening, it was it it just started to kind of at first it can drive you nuts, but then when you just let it happen, you know. And then going back to the GPA thing, what I thought was interesting is it reminded me of Do you know Neil Clyde? The writer, the comic book writer. Mm-mm. So Neil Clyde is, is a guy I've known for many, many years, and he's Jewish, right? I'm half Jewish, but he's Jewish, very Jewish. Like he practices Jew- Judaism, right? To the point where when we would go to like Small Press Expo and all these other comic cons, I, I think it's on a Friday. He's not allowed to handle money or like use a, like electronic devices because that's oh. part of religion or something, right? Is it yeah. like the Sabbath or something, uh-huh. right? But what was funny to me is the way he would get around it is if somebody was at his table, they could pass the other person the money. Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember we were at SBX once and he his hotel room was like on the 20th floor. And I remember he had to walk up those 20 flights <laughs> because he could not use the elevator that. Day. Yeah. But going back to the example of like, well, the way you can get around something, I thought it was interesting that this GPA, this global peace agency, is all about being, you know, pacifist and trying to like unite the world in positive ways, but they still have someone else create this brother eye satellite, create this god of war, who can, you know, beat the crap out of yeah. their enemies. Yeah, you know, tr- yeah. and then they can be like, it wasn't me, it was Omac. Yeah, it was our, you know, our guardian of sort. And it didn't occur to me to reading this time that that seems kind of messed up a little bit, like a little yeah. bit of a cheat, you know? Sure. Um. And also, if you recall, what what was your first feeling when you opened up page one, uh, issue one, and you see this box of of a, pieces of a woman? Yeah, it's really box, like a really weird opening. It's very very jarring and weird that initial it's image. Disturbing, man. Like, what is going on? And then you find out that there's like build a friend, and. I guess the, this character's name is Lila. So it actually, she actually has an identity. She's not just like some blow up doll, you know, but like 1974, what is going on? Yeah. You know, like what is going on in Kirby's mind? And the idea that like, they, that you can just like get a friend by building one versus actually trying to make friends with someone, you know, a real life person. But then you find out later that these builder friends uh, are actually hum- uh, bombs to like destroy you know people yeah uh, naturally by, yeah by the by the enemy but of course what was interesting to me is in the first issue buddy blank uh deals with certain frustrations of working at his job and they send him <laughs> to this area let me get my glasses on called the um the psychology section is that what it's called sorry the psychology section where basically people are in these rooms, these destruction rooms, destroying, you know, mannequins of other people or kicking the asses of other like fake men bent over and smashing the walls. Or there's this one panel 
where he's like, oh, I don't feel like burning cars either. I'm just not angry at anybody. I just feel depressed. That's all. He's like this emo version of, of you know, uh, of a human being. And and I just thought, oh, my God, like, what is going on? In, like, what was he reading? What was going on? Because I know he was a fan of pop culture. Like, he was watching yeah. television. He was reading science fiction books. And, like, what was he, you know, grabbing from other sources so that he could put this thing together? And he never really stops he never stops and takes a break and explains really anything except the relationship between him and brother i and 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 i guess this dr forrest who only is alive for like a page or two before he gets slaughtered right that seems to happen in this so yeah i want to say a couple things about this yeah um yeah because i had never i'm sort of one thing i'm i'm really getting out of doing this podcast is i'm reading a lot of 70s kirby i'd never gotten around to reading so that's been a blast, man. I tried to read the whole fourth world thing one time. And I think all these kind of work better as like single issues here and there than like reading it as a, it was yeah. never really meant to be bound in a book. It's really no. pulp, you know, truly. Um, yeah. So yeah, this one, I actually think I'd first heard of, I think when Morrison did final crisis was like when I was kind of doing the big event books and they brought back those OMAC the leg over the head uh build a oh, friends in that yes. and so i'd seen that image in that and then i think they tried to bring omac back for a minute or they reinterpreted it or brother i i think batman made brother i or something but um so i anyway and then i found out this was the source so but yeah i'm just really liking this 70s kirby like i mean to me he's like really firing on all cylinders on every page there's definitely yeah. like some deformity to figures and stuff you know there's like a but and i think uh, in terms of content it's very much like what was he drawing four pages a day or something at this point in his career apparently he was he was contracted to produce write and pencil 15 pages a week yeah so yeah. he's doing you know basically a, you know he's doing four monthly books yeah and uh and uh so, yeah, I don't think he's keeping careful track of this. I don't think he's taking oh. notes or has notebooks or it's just, but it's like constant invention. It's like, so I don't know. There's just something really fun and something we don't get anymore to comics where they are sort of, uh, this wasn't meant to, I mean, I love that it's archived and you can get a nice hardcover of it, but it's not meant for that. It's meant to be like read on the bus or something. Read on the bus and like tossed away. It feels like improv comics. Like yeah. there is a, there's a continuity here, right. Of sorts, but like he literally introduces a character like out the gate, like Omac is walking down the block and suddenly he says, I got to go meet this guy. There's a character later on. He goes, uh, are you Buck Blue? Which I love the name Buck Blue. All the right? names like, in OMAC, man. There's so all the villains great. have amazing names. Well, Mr. Big. I mean, we'll get to that in a second. But like, what the hell, man? Like, why is Buck Blue later on a character that he's looking for? We never know why. <laughs> and the only thing I can explain, if I could forgive Kirby, is that you know, Brother I transmitted some information to his head off panel, right? Like, you gotta yeah. go find this guy Buck Blue, and now he's talking about this guy Buck Blue, right? Or like Dr. Fancy, Fancy Freddy. Um, Fancy Freddy is great. I love and that. And then I want to talk to it more when you get to it, but the first issue inked by Mike Royer and Kirby Staple, but then the whole, and then I think the last issue is Mike Royer too, but yep. the whole middle is uh, D. Bruce Berry? Who's that? Do you know? Barry. So um, I think D. Bruce Berry was kind of like 
an assistant to Mike Royer. And Mike Royer, I guess, was working on other stuff as well. Or, you know, he might want to take a break because, you know, working with Kirby, you know, I don't even think he had an editor at this point. You know, honestly, Mm -hmm. there might have been a traffic cop, somebody who would like get the book printed. Mm -hmm. But nobody was telling Kirby what to do. Yeah. They all say he's credited as editor in all these. Eventually. And if you notice this as well, no colorist is cited. Oh, so who the hell colored these things? You know, like. Um, but, and then of course he's like this strange blue, orange, yellow color, which I don't necessarily know is like a God of war kind of colors, you know, mm-hmm. not to mention that he has a Mohawk, which might be today considered problematic. I don't know. I don't know, you but know? that does seem like a God of war thing, right? Like that's, uh, God, yeah, that's true. That like, kind of like with the gladiator kind of, he does have like si- uh, thick sideburns, you know? And, and then, then the idea of brother, I like, again, I think brother, I, or, or, you know, big brother. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking of. Is playing with the 1984 idea a little bit, but in this case, Brother Eye is an ally. Right. You know, he he's a kind of a good guy who basically somehow has all these amazing kind of attributes that he can beam to Omac's belt buckle, uh-huh. and then he can you know use this these powers. Uh, but he also has no personality. Barely a personality. He's like Buddy Blank in that he's just a mission statement. You're talking about Omac? About Omac. Yeah. So Buddy Blank is kind of a nobody. Omac himself is just told what to do. Like, he doesn't even question the GPA because he doesn't know who they are because they never reveal who they are. You know? Yeah. And so all they do is give him, like, these missions of, like, go get that bag. There's even an analog character of kind of like a Castro, I think, later on. Oh, what was his name? There was later on, he's going after this other dude. Uh, oh, it's uh, Marshall Kafka. <laughs> like, <laughs> again, just like kind of like he's kid kid inspired villains. Yeah. Like he was just, it was like, and, and don't forget, this was also at a time when I think uh, publishers were also trying to get uh, their cartoonists to create, you know, designs for toys. Oh. Now okay. they were making toys out of these things. Okay. So maybe he was trying to like add another toy idea or like he would draw a monster that could be like a toy. Um, in the second issue, there's this great idea of like this very rich person named Mr. Big who rents an entire city for a party. Yeah, yeah. You know, electric you can city see happening, electric city. You can see happening. Um, but you find out later that he's basically hired a couple of hitmen to like try to find Dr. Forrest, who I guess lives in Electric City, where he is basically, you know, uh, is, is the home base for Omac, but until he gets slaughtered and then it's just Omac and Brother I. Well, I want to um, go issue by issue, but I want to start from sure, the, sure. Um, but Was for there the more about one you want to talk about. Or? Well, so one thing that's weird to me about these Omac comics is the covers. Like, look at the cover of Omac number one is like such a yeah. dud of a cover. And it almost looks like. Um, the covers are like a couple of sketches, like pasted on a board or something. I don't know. Do you know anything about even, that? I would even hazard that the um, the figure of Omac on the cover is a reverse image. I feel like he drew it the other way. Mm. And it might even be able to find it somewhere in the comic as if for some reason he either produced a cover they didn't like or he didn't have time to do a cover. And this was the cover. And when you think about it, why would this be the cover? He's like, like an inch tall on the cover. This is like the most underwhelming Kirby cover I've ever seen. Truly, truly like an almost antithetical to a Kirby cover. Yeah. Like, like someone in you know production 
or like, I don't know, an assistant editor put that together. You know, mm-hmm. it's bizarre. I agree. Oh, and then um, I think one of like you said, that he's sort of a blank character. And I had that with Commandy, too, that the protagonist is kind of a blank slate, but the world and the circumstance are so interesting. Like, that seems like what Kirby's so. But yeah, these are just all really fun. They're like fun, basically one shot, but there's an overarching, but they're like... Right. Just a, a real joy to read, though. They're like the well, most the amount yeah. of ideas are being thrown at you. And then you just have to pick it up along the way. And there's a certain shorthand he uses in his writing where, like, if he doesn't totally explain something, you need to fill that in with your own brain. You know, hmm. like, I think he's relying also on the reader uh, to to kind of, like, you know, make it work. In yeah, some I guess. I didn't worry about it. too. Like, when I read The Fourth World, I was really trying to keep track of it. And follow it and i i see that now as a mistake you know like i'd like to go yeah. back to those and just take it for what well, it don't is forget the fourth world was not a finished series because yeah. a lot of the issues ended like issue 11 or something mm-hmm. and and, it, and like i guess the sales weren't that great either and then you know he never really finished whatever those ideas were going to be but also- the fourth world is like a big intertwined epic and yeah, it's new gods forever people mr miracle and Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this just feels like really freestyle. Um, but to me, it's like Kirby and it all still, I mean, the, there's so much beautiful imagery throughout this. It's definitely that opening image of the first yep. issue. Is, and then also, it seems like in this era, every Kirby book opens with a splash page and then is followed by a double page spread. That seems really... Double page spread, and then like two or three pages of you know, uh, six panels or whatever. And then another splash page, a chapter break. Yep. There's a the bunch of, those. of the Kirby chapter break where like, again, he was probably saving time by doing a single image, but then he would load that single image with like six panels worth of information, you know? So yeah. I don't know what he was thinking, you know, but yeah. So we open with Omac and he's in the, uh, he's evacuating the build a friend factory. Right. Right. And then it just all gets blown up and it starts in the middle of the story and then we go back in time. And so then the uh, right. yeah, the, the Global Peace Agency is uh, there. Are they seeking out Buddy Blank? Um, yeah. I feel like this they is choose like him. They, they're talking to Dr. Forrest about this thing he's created, like the OMAC project. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you just then you get introduced to Brother I and the idea of, of Brother I. And then there's our candidate. Which is Buddy Blank. He's part. He's working for Pseudo People Incorporated. What's also <laughs> interesting about this is that early, at least in the in the cinematic universe, uh, Steve Rogers, you do get a sense of his personality when he says, "I can do this all day," meaning I, I will fight. Even though I'm a skinny twerp, yeah. I will fight the bullies. Right. So you get mm-hmm. a sense of who Captain America is before he even becomes Captain America. Mm-hmm. Here, you just get this whiny little emo punk. Nobody. Yeah. You know, I mean, he could be anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And for some reason, he's like the perfect candidate. He even goes, I guess, because he goes through those rooms where people are raging and freaking out like modern day outrage. Right. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he doesn't do any of it, doesn't engage in any of that, I guess, makes him peaceful enough for the GPA. I think he's just I don't think there's any I think he's just observing this world, like whether he's OMAC or buddy blank, he's just like standing in for us observing this strange world this sort of yep. corporate controlled capitalist yep you know 
world that he's in. And then he meets Lila. And I guess he has a thing for Lila. But I mean, who wouldn't, you know? Yeah. Then, <laughs> and then he finds out that she's not even really real, right? Mm-hmm. And then he feels bad to, that she's going to be, you know, uh, destroyed here in this mission, you know, where he has to go and and annihilate the, the entire plant. Because basically the idea, I think, is that these builder friends, um, which are becoming popular, once you build them and you hang out with them, they destroy you. They blow up, you know. And I'm wondering <laughs> if in a way, when was Westworld? When did Westworld come out? I wonder if this is kind of an homage to Westworld. Oh, I don't know. You know, I think that was an early 70s, you know, thing. Um, I'm also finding that I read these kind of gradually over time and I'm I'm not, they're not sticking in my brain super well like i'm sort of looking through these trying to remember i can remember a lot of moments or i remember the feeling of reading them but they're sort of like dreamlike in that sense where it's just like a bunch of absolutely and honestly honestly i've read this a bunch of times and every time i read it i see new stuff sure and i forget other stuff and no it it, it's a gift that keeps on giving for anybody who wants to read omac but I do think Brother Eye is such a strange invention. Like, it just doesn't appear as something that would, like you said, he's an ally. And it sort of seems to go against, like, the design and what would seem to be the nature of this thing. Like, I feel like you keep waiting to find out the Global Peace Agency is corrupt or that Brother Eye is, like, doing. But it's never it's never the case. Also, but it doesn't really end. It doesn't end. So you don't yeah. know if that would have been the case. Although later on, when he. He fights uh, Dr. Scuba. Oh, Dr. Like Scuba. It's so good. It is like a mad genius versus, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, you know? And there is like that idea of who's better or what's smarter. And I think in Kirby's mind, like geniuses turn to mad geniuses and they corrupt and become horrible. Whereas I guess uh, the algorithms of an artificial intelligence if they're assigned to be peaceful and to help mankind, you can rely on them more than you can rely on humanity in that way. Sounds about right. Story yeah. checks out. Yeah, but so, yeah, we meet Buddy Blank. He basically just blows everything up, right? He blows yep. up to build a friend, and then I mean, he's going to... His primary function is just to blow things up. Like, yeah. it's not no, not a lot of nuance in his powers and what he does. And then he's going to nab Mr. Big. I mean, I do love the dialogue, too. There's just like a 70s kind of swagger to everything he's saying. There is a swagger. And like one of my favorite pieces of dialogue is early on. I think it's an issue, two, where uh, he's explaining. Here it is. Uh, Omax talking to Dr. Forrest, the guy who basically, you know, transformed uh, Buddy Blank with the with Brother Ionie. And he goes, uh, Omax says, I have faint memories of being someone else. And Dr. Forrest says, it's true, Omac, but you were changed by remote-controlled hormone surgery from space. (laughs) I mean, that's one panel, right? Like, there's so many panels like that in this series. Yeah. Oh, my God. What's happening? Every phrase. And and by the way, you you, you move on to the next panel. That's right. That's how it happened. You You don't question that. So then, uh, yeah, the second issue too. I'm Max real. It's it's more of a designed cover, but uh, there's a little more happening. But Omac is still very small. Omac is just always very small on these covers, I know. and it's, it's very I distracting know. to me. It, and also, they go more with like the font and like the what they're telling you 
it's more about, you know, the message, the text, than it is about any kind of image that's compelling, which mm-hmm. again, is very odd. It, it, it really feels like, you know, if, if let's say, you know, you're working on your best stuff during the day, this felt like this was being worked on it late at night, you know, kind of <laughs> but that's what um, makes it even better. I think, you know, I mean, it's going be after midnight, you know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's campy, I guess I would say it's, yeah, absolutely. and I, I think Kirby has this really excellent mix of like brilliant and I don't want to say terrible because it's not terrible, but no, it's, it's like, not. it's, I don't know, ridiculous or something like there, it, it functions very well in both. There's like a sophisticated part of my brain that spent 30 years learning how to draw. That's so, uh, uh, just absorbed in like how he does light and dark and dynamic shapes and just the shapes he builds everything out of. And Mm -hmm. then there's a part of me that's really lowbrow. That's like, so amused by, the absurdity of all of this and it's Mm -hmm. both at the same time. And that's what I think ultimately I love about this era of Kirby. I mean, all Marvel, his whole Marvel run always has that element too. like Stan Lee's writing is always kind of campy and braggadocious and it's funny. These are kind of funny and these are less self-aware, I guess I would say, Right, right. but just as funny. So it's funny you say that because Stan Lee was always aware of the reader. Yeah. And winking and even talking to the reader sometimes, like breaking that fourth wall, whereas Kirby doesn't do that, you know? And in a way, his own style, even though you've heard Kirby talk in interviews, he sounds like a gangster, right? <laughs> like like a cartoon gangster, right? But like his writing style can lean towards being a little like almost poetic and a little beat generation of kind of without mm-hmm. intentionally being that, you know? So when we get to the D. Bruce Barry inks, do you have anything to say about the shift? Well, I mean, it's 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 clear that there's a shift and that he doesn't have as good a handle. I mean, I'm not going to hear to diss anybody, but, you know, Mike Royer clearly was a better anchor. I mean, my favorite anchor for Kirby is Joe Sinnott, you know, on mm. Fantastic Four. And, oh. and, and then and then Vince Coletta gets a lot of crap because of how he inked a lot of people, including Kirby, where... He did. He he used a real shorthand, and he was also more of a scrappy inker, I believe. Whereas I like a smooth line on Kirby. Yeah, you know, um, and I like Royer, but uh, I also feel like Joe Sinnott is Kirby's best inker. But D. Bruce Barry, you know, I don't know if it was. You know, I I do wonder as Kirby was starting to age out a little bit. Let's call it right. Um, if they were just like. They weren't the publishers weren't taking him as seriously. You know, remember, he he, you know, he had a whole history before Marvel doing a lot of comics from Captain America to Monster and Romance. He invented Rom- romance. romance yeah, he'd been in the game for t- that's such an interesting thing about Kirby is that when he invented the Marvel universe, he was like 20 years in. Right. Yeah. So then Marvel happens, and there's that nine-year sweet spot of just pure ideas and like to the point where it's taken over society today mm-hmm. you know all these ideas right but then he has a kerfuffle and decides i'm going to go to dc and dc makes a big stink about the king they got the king over at dc right and he brings his new guys over there and it kind of doesn't rock out like it was supposed to right and then by the time he's doing omac he's doing a comic called the demon oh yeah yeah and i forget what the other book was i know he did a bunch commandy of Oh, Commandy, right. 
And then he was doing some one shots like Manhunter and Atlas and whatever, right? Dingbats, so, a danger street. Oh, that's right. The Dingbats, a danger street, you know, which is basically like a Yancey street gang, right? Yeah. So, um, but it's starting to get more like what we today. I've been an editor in YA Gravenhouse would look at this and look at it like YA art. Like, I mean, that's probably true for a lot of early Marvel comics as well. But, I don't you know, know though. He, this stuff looks so good to me. Like all the no, but um, I mean the best of the best of YA. I don't mean like maybe maybe <laughs> I need to define what I mean by that. But it's kid friendly. Let's just say that it's very kid friendly. But it's really you know? vibrant. Like it doesn't seem to me at all like he's declining. Like I've read a bunch of his FF. Like his Fantastic Four comics are just uh. But yeah. there's so much. Um, detail to every like the level of invention and you know when he draws a machine he draws this big elaborate weird yep. machine like that doesn't feel at all to me like he's slowing down this stuff he's not but maybe and maybe it's the inks because like they do show in this collection i have her they do show some examples of his pencils and mm-hmm. his pencils are very strong so it's possible that d bruce barry just wasn't picking up everything that kirby was laying down and also, I'm not a fan of some of the coloring of this of these comics. Oh yeah, it's just a little too bright and like schizophrenic in spots. I I feel. I want to say, um, because I think I I share this with you. Like I like a a heavy brush line. I think you and I both yeah. have that approach in common in our drawing. Yep. You know, you could I'd say it's not as sharp as Mike Royer, sure, but um, you know, those squiggles are there, like um. I mean, to me, Kirby's all about the abstract shapes, really, yep. is what the, the real beauty of his work. And those are yep. there. But I, like those Kirby squiggles, like what do you think Mike Royer like sat him down? And, like, OK, here's how you is it a motion of the hand or like how do you make that shape? I, I honestly I, I mean, in terms of ink, I, it's it's funny because we can get into a little inking talk here. But once in a while, especially on a close up of a face you'll see what looks like a dab of a brush. It literally mm-hmm. went like flip like that. And to me, maybe that was penciled there. It probably was there. It was kind of an indication of some kind of a shadow somewhere on a cheek line or something or a brow. I love that because that is abstract to me because that's not real. Mm-hmm. But he makes it real because he's putting it into that universe. It's like, you know, I was once explaining to someone, like if you start drawing a certain style, uh, your, your people has a certain style when you draw your characters and your faces and your action. But if you look at a, at a photograph of a toaster oven, cause you need to put a toaster oven in the corner and that looks like a real toaster oven, you're messing up with the lexicon of, of your work style. You know, like mm. you need to now make that toaster oven look like your people. Mm-hmm. You need to make your car, your trees look like your people because most of what you're drawing are people doing things, right. Or a character doing something, whatever the design is, it could be a monster, an animal, whatever. But sometimes when I would like personally, I would realize, oh, I need a reference of a thing. And then I'd be a little too close to the reference and trying to draw it accurately. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to convert it Mm -hmm. into this other thing that I'm doing naturally. Right. So in Kirby world, man, everything looks like it belongs there. Like in that Kirby. Like I also sometimes wonder if he started to not look at reference anymore. Like Hmm. a car was just in his head. A building. He had drawn so many things for so long that he just tapped into his own brain, you know. And because yeah, he's drawing a future story, you know, things can look wonky, you know. I wonder. I mean, his machinery is definitely wholly unique. It doesn't look like anything else. Right. 
Agreed. It doesn't look like anything else. Like he has totally his own full visual vocabulary of shapes and and he has so many yeah. throwaway ideas. Like if you look at issue three, the splash page, where you see Omac is laying in something with his eyes covered by some and his ears covered by some kind of contraption because he's in a dream state, right? And and it's like you only see that contraption like once. <laughs> but it's, it's so, so elaborate and amazing, you know, like I love it. And he does that all the time in his comics. He'll create something that looks so amazing, but he only draws it like once, maybe. Yeah. Twice. Now he you doesn't know? seem to dwell on it. I mean, that's like, he seems like he has more ideas than he could ever yeah. get out. I mean, he's like, I remember being a little kid and feeling like that. And it went away as I got older, you know, and like he kind of makes comics like a little kid would yep. you know in a you lot know, of ways do you, do you have the comics in front of you or, or, or do you have it on a tablet or something uh-huh. if you go to page 17 of issue two the last uh-huh. panel yeah look at the inking on that and that kind of is what i was describing yep like these dabs of ink yeah and like remove the color which is only just basically two colors a, a like a peach kind of tone and blue eyes and that kind of reminds me of what I think a Keith Giffen was starting to do later in his work. Oh, totally, totally, you know, totally. Yeah, was getting inspired by this kind of like inking style, which I think mm-hmm. is so cool. And that's the only thing you would notice later on, years later, as as a cartoonist, you know, exploring this and just like studying Kirby or the even the inkers. Remember, we're not looking at we're looking at the inkers and the colors and mm-hmm. and the lettering. You know, like. We don't exactly know what was taken away from Kirby's own pencils. But once but, in a while, yeah. D. Bruce Barry uses a thin line that doesn't work. Mm. I think that's my criticism. Mm. You know? Because, again, I think we both appreciate the thicker line. Yeah. And also, the coloring half the time truly is atrocious. I just, I just was it- really surprised by this other inker i hadn't known about who i didn't i was caught off guard but so but the second issue he goes to electric city it's all being rented out for a party he goes to take down mr big um dr forrest gets killed right pretty pretty quick and then uh it's like in captain america when the guy who created the captain america serum gets gets killed like right away uh, and i think the idea behind that a little bit is to make them more rogue Meaning, oh, well, you know, we'll kill this Captain America. We'll make another one later to fight or whatever. I don't know. They probably even had some serum left over in the Marvel Universe for other Captain Americas. I'm sure that's been done. But I think the idea is to, the, the trope is to get rid of the inventor and the person that, like, could have created this weird thing. And only only he knows, mm-hmm. you know, how to do it. There's no recipe hanging out, you know, somewhere. Uh, and then it makes his relationship with Brother I closer and more meaningful in a way you know which does come to fruition as the stories move forward him yeah, it's really a love story between a man and a and a satellite That's this right. whole yeah. yeah but so then uh yeah he goes to take down mr big he gets blasted and he basically dies and comes back to life right you've That's witnessed right. almost perfect death simulation it's great to be alive again <laughs> and then that's fantastic. Um, yeah. I thought that Mr. Big got killed. Am I missing that? No, he doesn't. No, he goes to jail, I think, with the GPA. Like, the GPA is okay. always showing up to clean up the mess at the end and uh, take away, you know, the villain of the week, as it were. Yeah, and I love that image of they're just orange, faceless. They have sort of, like, 
little marks where their eyes and mouths are. It's just so strange. <laughs> I know. I know. It, it, it's eerie. And I love that they wear suits and capes. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Like, Purple what? capes. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, again, the coloring is awful. I can't stand. It's choice. all orange and blues. And so, yeah, then the cover that, what do you think about that third issue cover? I noticed again, Omac is, is very on? small. <laughs> At least the design is a little more fun because there's a whole bunch of like turrets and barrels and guns pointed at him. And they, they even say there's a hundred thousand foes that he's, but he, but like, I guess he's got this little seat. Oh, that's in the comic. It's like these covers were done on a dare or something. It's like, I, I know, bet right? you can't make the character real tiny on every cover. <laughs> it's such a it, strange. It's weird. It is weird. Like, I didn't notice that until you pointed it out. But yeah. if they're not compelling, doesn't make you want to pick up the comic necessarily and buy it. It really doesn't. Um, so then the fourth issue, he's basically, it starts with Omax like in a weird, he's doing virtual reality, basically. So wait, this is the third issue. Third issue. Yeah, yeah. He's doing virtual reality yeah. and he's fighting like monsters that are kind of incredible. Again, these are just single designs that you only see once or twice. But this you know, thing, Kirby this goes, monster is like, there's no logic to it. At, like it doesn't have a body that could have a skeleton. Like it's not meant to be drawn more than once. It's exactly. just like a nonsense creature. But that's also the 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 latitude that Kirby gave himself was... I'm going to go balls out, and then, um, you know what? I'll kill him in the next panel or two. And then you just have this fun image that you're looking at, and you have no idea how it could possibly exist. And I think that was part of his own kind of creativity, was to create things that don't exist. Mm -hmm. And maybe someday they will, you know? And then Omak is kind of checking in with himself, and he doesn't even remember being Buddy Blank. Like, that's not... I'm always weirded out by characters who... When they change, they become a different being, like Shazam yeah. or something, where it's like not right. like this mind in this new body. It's just like yep. a different being. And that's sort of what Omak is. He's like, well, not- it's funny that you, you say Shazam because that was one of the first comics I ever read, it was Fantastic mm. Four and Shazam. And later on, when we discussed Red Hook and a character that I invented in Red Hook, it is inspired wholly by Shazam, uh, a, a, a mashup of Shazam and Omak. Hmm. And maybe a little bit of Firestorm. And I'll tell you about that later. Can't. Uh, this is a little something to look forward to. So then there's a woman in the uh, global piece. She's got a skirt on and still no face. That's right. Um, and then... Uh, and then he meets his, his assigned parents. <laughs> so weird. Because Omac needs parents. Not Buddy Blank, but Omac. <laughs> and they don't just get Buddy Blank's parents. They're like, here, these are these new parents. Yeah, yeah they're, they're test parents. Uh, and they hope to pass that test. And it's so bizarre because, spoiler, I don't think we ever even come back to them after this issue. Like, I don't think we do. <laughs> yeah. Why does he have parents all of a sudden that we never see again? You know, so, like. So then Kafka, yeah, he gets the briefing. Kafka is the. Uh, Marshall Ka- Kafka is the bad guy who's kind of like uh, a Castro kind of looking dude a little bit. But named know? after Franz Kafka. But but does does he look like Kafka maybe more? No, he doesn't look anything like Kafka. But his name is Kafka. Um, And so yeah, he says goodbye to his test parents. He flies off in a rocket. And I love this image of the chapter three header. It's a splash page. He's just flying in this little rocket. So cool cool. looking. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. that should have been the cover. That should have. It's very true. 
Yeah. And then, yeah, there's just these great sequences too, just like pages of him flying in a rocket and the rocket blows up and then he goes here and just really good action. I always like um, just simple grids. You know, I always will take like a six panel grid with really dynamic images inside of it over like yeah. a lot of overlapping crazy panels. And if you look at the top of page 14, issue three, mm-hmm. again, look at that inking style. Like, mm-hmm. It's it's almost Frank Miller esque, like mm. Sin City era, you like know, a thin line like, and then a thin chunky line blotches, yeah, yeah, you know, chunky little blotches. It's, it's just, and you know, big ups to D. Bruce Barry on that. You know, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad he got some respect here. I wonder he's listening to this right now, going, oh, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's just the faces. I don't think he was good on the faces. I'm looking at like the lines on the faces, and and he had trouble with that. And it's possible that. It was intimidating, or maybe, you know, Kirby's pencils were getting a little abstract. I don't know. And you know, it's funny. I'm looking right now at the pencils for that cover, and that was intended the way they drew it, except they added a circle, I think, around OMAC that he did not put there. So oh. that's interesting. Hmm. Maybe to identify, that's our hero. That's the guy. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it ends on a cliffhanger. I think this is a, the first cliffhanger of the series. Yeah, there's a giant tank that's blasting at him. And then it's like, wait till next issue. And then the fourth issue starts literally with him begging Brother I to send some strength his way. (laughs) So So the fourth issue, he's bigger on the cover. He's in the foreground this time. That's true. But he's still not not real big. And I love this um, creature on the fourth. Yeah, the creature is amazing. I actually used uh, that creature for a a, a comic book. Oh, God, what was it? Mike Cavallaro and J.M. Demetrius did a series, which uh, the title escapes me right now. But I did like a, a alternative variant cover where I used this uh, character on, on it. So mm. Was it a DC series? No, no, no. It was, uh, it was I think it was published by IDW. Oh, someone got to come after you for this? Uh, no, never. Yeah, that's never. that's intellectual property, man. Whatever that character <laughs> is, I think it's homage. It's homage. That that that, that character is getting an HBO series, Dean. You're in uh, trouble. <laughs> no doubt. And that's another thing. As I'm reading this comic, I'm like, this should be a TV show. Why is this not a TV show right now? Hmm. Well, it probably will you know, be eventually. <laughs> that's true. Sure. They'll get around to it. They will. Yeah. I mean, the whole all this. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about this era of Kirby is like. I'm sure DC wanted like its own equivalent to the invention of Marvel, but it's just like so crazy. All the stuff he invented there. Yeah. It's well, less well, commercial, invent, right? But he did invent one of the, their, they're probably their most powerful villain in dark side. Oh, that's true. That, you know? Yeah. Dark side so. stuck around. I mean, yeah. And the fourth world's its own kind of corner of the DC universe, but yeah. Do you think the commercial viability do you think that was the Stanley piece, or do you think it was just the difference between what he invented in the sixties and seventies? Well, I think it, you know he he listen a lot of I, I feel like a lot of um, the Marvel characters might have started out as like oh the Hulk is like a Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde right like so they were kind of winking at other things or mythologies or whatever and kind of coming up with their own stories right to see what would sell. Uh, and don't forget, Marvel came from monster comics. You know, they mm-hmm. they were doing a whole bunch of monster comics. Um, but was was Kirby kind of like kind of going back to the well, as it were, with these characters and doing like a second iteration, maybe of I mean, clearly with Omac being, you know, initially a future Captain America, yes. But then all the ideas that sprung out afterwards felt very new and fresh. And mm-hmm. you know, him 
kind of commenting on on society in 1974 and also predicting the future like where is mankind going to go with its ego with its you know what happens when man uh deals with technology and we're dealing with that right now and mm-hmm. he was predicting some of the way and there there there's a line of dialogue later on i think I, i have to find it i think i wrote it down um where he does discuss that it's insane you know um wait where was it oh it might have been in Well, let's get through this fourth issue. Wait, I want to ask you something real quick as an intermission though. Yeah. You just mentioned Marvel Monsters and it reminded me I wanted to ask you cuz you drew a Thing mini series. Yes, I did. And uh how do you draw the Thing? Like I've always wondered that character like what system do you have to draw that character? Once you figure out the head, which is, you know, the most expressive part of the Thing and figuring out how to do his eye eyebrow and we're talking about the more rocky thing not more like the lumpy thing let's call yeah, it right the classic thing yeah the yeah the thing that you, you most people draw today or seen today uh you know once you figure that out and figure out like where rocks lines go to kind of give expression and you know i give him a heavy lower lip and like a nose that's closer to his eyes like you know i think some people draw the thing like he's a gorilla and i'm like that's not the way you draw the thing And then you try to draw like well where do these rocks fit and how abstract is it and I always thought of it as like plates like there are plates on him that shift and move as he moves around so I think in that way right but what it wasn't until later on I realized he's a golem uh-huh the thing is a golem you know so you can play around with either sharp kind of you know little plates of stones that kind of come together and create this you know form this physical form or you just kind of play a little loose and if it looks right it is right does that make sense yeah but you know? so do you you draw like the outer shape of him you get the sense of the shape of his yeah. body and then you right. add the rocks and then you know you draw where like you know uh, the chest would be and the shoulders and stuff and then you try to form around that so that you can see within like the the puzzle pieces of his body as it were you can actually see and then indicate maybe where shadows are so you can get the form you know it's a bitch to draw over and it over again it sounds like and, the, and there's no concern nobody's ever been concerned about consistently drawing the rocks the same size and shape no and if you are you're insane and yeah. like that that would look crazy you know yeah. like and it's funny cuz like i don't know it's a it's a real test and challenge like you know some of my favorite artists and i won't name names have not figured out how to draw the thing when they do the thing and i was yeah. really surprised and then there are people who draw the thing they're like Oh wow, like Ron Wilson who drew a lot of Marvel 2 and 1s back in the day. Great great uh, artist of the thing, you know, and John Byrne did a great job and obviously Kirby and uh uh Mike Waringo. Oh, uh, Mike Waringo, man. Yeah. Unbelievable job and you know, I mean there've been a lot of great artists, you know, but he is he is probably the hardest Marvel character to draw. Pro- yeah, he's definitely up there. I mean, there's a few Spider-Man. He's also like why would you ever make that the costume you had to draw every time? But there's but you yeah. can figure it out. Like you go, okay, it's got to draw these webs and these forms. The thing but, I was just like back then and back then like you would design most characters to be able to draw over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then later on, they've designed characters that are like why would you draw that more than once? Like mm-hmm. I can't believe and usually that's someone who's just likes to design or is a fashion designer or something. versus a cartoonist who needs to repeat that you know yeah. so when i've designed characters i try to keep it as easy as possible <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so issue we'll just blast through issue oh or issue 4 right quick 
Oh, so, by the way, his name is yeah. Marshall Karovin Kafka. Love it. And then he unleashes something called the multi-killer. Okay. Which at some point Omex says, animal, mineral, or vegetable? It could be all three. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you talking about, Omex? Like, why are you trying to identify? I mean, maybe Brother Eyes helping him identify whatever this thing is made out of, you know? And I thought that was really funny because, like, you know, no one really thinks about that, you know? Um, and I feel like toward the end, yeah, they basically kill the this alien-looking monster. Well, before that, and, though, so Kafka gets captured. He goes to super court. Right, right. And uh, that's important. And then... Yep. Uh, I love super court. Super court. And uh, that, is that the end of him? Does it wrap it up? He just I goes, don't think we see him again unless he just gets mad and says... I'm going to get you or something. You well, know? He says, my Avenger is coming. He's going to destroy this place. So is that That's what right. the creature is? That's what the creature is. The multi-killer. So the AI, any minimal vegetable could be all three. Yeah, that thing is crazy. And then the way he defeats him, if I think about it right now, because he says that this animal can fission like a hydrogen bomb. It's about to go off. He's able to like pull off its horn or one of its horns. And while it's flying around, it kind of... It, it goes off into outer space and blows up because it gets misdirected by having like one of its horns ripped off that I guess helps guide it. Story checks and out. That's how makes, he's able to defeat it. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, man. That's like if uh, if I'm walking and one of my uh, if my collar flips up, I just I can't ah, I can't start walk walking in, the other way. <laughs> I start walking in circles. I can't you know yeah. I it's it. like yeah I can't do it. So that's it basically. Kafka goes to jail. He goes to super creature to comes jail, after them. Jail. He goes to super jail. You're not yep. just going to jail. You really do some bad stuff. So yep. then, uh, yeah, cover of issue five, Tiny Omac. We got a little more of like a circumstance happening. Oh, Lisa. my God. Yeah. New but bodies for old. weird other thing that I think is, is just like a tried and true trope of you know, old people wanting to become young again. Well, it's, you know. like, uh, it's like get out, but without the racial component. Right, right, right. Totally. So, and then you find out that inside the comic that basically there's this crime cabal that's, uh, you know, trying to get their old gangsters young again or getting their, their minds into younger bodies. You know, it was actually gangsters. like to me the most feasible, like I could actually see this happening. If there's a, technology is invented to transfer a mind into a body, like this would happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and yeah, fancy Freddy Sparga. He's my favorite. He kind of looks like Frank Zappa, but with like a a a, a bowl totally. cut. Totally. He's great looking dude. I and love then we it. do get we do get for one second, one panel, we do get to see one of the GPA uh uh guys pulling off like a fake face. We and do then spraying his face. Yeah, he's smoking a cigarette and he's bald. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> and then um yeah, there's some really abstract drawings of this fancy Freddy Sparga man. Yeah, oh there's God. a page like, of him kind of ranting and there's like a really weird under the face image yeah. that doesn't look like anything. Yeah. yeah that's I like, love it. To me, that's like fine art right there. Like that's like the lighting doesn't even make sense. That's like maybe the weirdest Kirby panel I've ever seen. But it's page yeah. six issue what is this issue five? Yeah. Issue Five, page six, panel three. That is a weird, weird drawing. And even that's... look at the panel next to it, panel four. Like again, that's like some weird abstracts. 
Uh, that's a missile flying toward the GPA. Guy. It's like barely. This is great radio too. Just describing things we're looking at. But um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, where are we going? And with this, this is where we meet Buck Blue, mm. who, by the way, he literally walks into a place where people are shooting guns and says, "Omax says, which one of you is Buck Blue?" And I'm thinking, when was he looking for a Buck Blue before this? <laughs> Who so told him to look for Buck Blue? I love and that, it. again, that must have happened in between the panels. You know, Brother I must have shot him some, you know, a dossier to go find Buck Blue, uh, which is insane. And 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 they're hunting hologram beasts. So they never say because they brief him before this. They never say you got to find they Buck never Blue. Say go find this guy who, if I'm correct, on a second later on. And then he's like, "I'm Buck Blue." <laughs> he finds it I'm right Buck away, <laughs> and, and he's, he's he's shooting like holographic. He's basically like virtual reality hunting. Yes, and he also, I think, is part of like he's defected from being a a bad guy or something. But he can get in to where the bad guys are because he's got cred, street cred, or something. That's why I, they need Buck Blue. I always like these characters that sort of like. Uh, are are an assist to the protagonist for an issue or two. Yeah, They're always interesting. Right. Yeah. It's almost like the guest star of the issue, right? Like yeah. or, or of the episode. Uh and again, like I guess he he infiltrates with Buck Blue to get over to Fancy Freddy. And then there's this other, there's this woman, what's her name? Does she even have a name? Uh and they're part of this crime cabal. They're trying to get their old you know, broken brains into young bodies and spending all this money. And again, who the hell invented this thing? Like, do we even get to that? You know, it's insane. Oh, but so, yeah. So then they're interrupting the crime cabal who's doing the body switching. And then Buck Blue is now willing to sell his girlfriend for That's half right. a million dollars. Yeah. But then he feels bad about it. Or wait, did we get to that yet? Or is that the next issue? No, that's the next issue. Sorry. I think, uh, yeah, sorry. Spoiler alert, but he feels bad later. He does feel um, bad about about uh, willing to sell his girlfriend for a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he just, uh, yeah, then the peace agents just come in and spray uh, Fancy Freddy with gas. And that's that's it, right? And that was it. He got Fancy Freddy. I still love how every issue ended with like this really compelling cliffhanger, like title, like uh-huh. a racket that could wreck the world. Next, a super shocker, the people bank. Yeah. It'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. I always like when that's a Stanley thing where, where, you know, this is the greatest story in human history. That's I always right. like that. So, yeah. So OMAC number six, the cover finally is something they finally give you that's a real cover it's like the first that's, one yeah that's a finally he's like coming at you he's saving a, a girl there's this destroyed subway system and monsters it's great it's like one point perspective in the center of the cover big yep. big oh my biggest omac we've seen on the cover love that opening it, splash that page one splash is one of the most terrifying things kirby has ever drawn it's a very weird creature yeah yeah and then a double page splash keep afterwards. an eye out for sickies that's right, sickies. The sickies, yeah. So he that's him foreseeing uh the the pandemic. That's right. <laughs> Kirby saw it all, man. You can't that's ever right. and they've got tentacles and stuff, and he's yeah, just they got and then and then that splash page, page five, the body bank chapter yep. two. Again, another small OMAT, but what a great, great kind of design of a, for a, a a page, you know. Yeah, him punching this dude flying right, this monster flying right at us. And then you notice in the corner, oh, there, there's there's OMAC. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's responsible. So yeah, they're going after, uh, and then yeah, I, Brother Eye is just basically like dips in and solves whatever problem is happening. Like, oh, I got to go underwater. Brother, I'll beam him with a thing that can make you go underwater. Like, he's kind of a pretty convenient, I would say. He goes underground. And, like, at some point on page eight, like, Buck Blue was like, this old station is called a mugger's stop. (laughs) And I'm like, he's just making stuff up. There's no such thing as a mugger's stop, but that's great. (laughs) Like, it it becomes real because he said it's real, you know? (laughs) Um, and he talks about the train will stop here. They they probably signal it by a pocket phone. There was yeah. no. Well, you know what? Actually, he might be. He might have been winking at Star Trek, right at that point. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you know. But again, you never see the pocket phone. You know, he just again. There's so many ideas and names. Oh, and then we get to page ten, the Death Ride. Mm-hmm. To me, so he shows like this weird looking like train that looks like a monster, like evil train looking thing that they got to ride. And that kind of also reminds me of Shazam, the train that took Billy Batson to that underground place where he meets that wizard to become mm. uh, Captain Marvel. It's know? also just this whole issue is just like the New York City subway system, basically, yeah, 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 like totally. in a in a futuristic story. And uh, they're still trying to stop the body replacement thing, though, right? This is the yes. holdover. Yes. And, and uh, then he goes through like like another thing I know is that Kirby would do which is smart, is he realized he has to fill 20 pages. And then the last two issues went down to 18 pages. But anyway, <laughs> you got to fill 20 pages. So let us have at least five pages of obstacles for, for yeah. OMAC to get through, even if he's got a buddy or whatever, you know. And then he and he was not shy to draw like, oh, I'm going to draw eight people in this panel getting ready to shoot OMAC, you know, and then he's going to dispatch them. Like for me, I'd be like, oh, my God, how do you even know where to put these people as an artist? You know, like you take these things for granted when you're reading it. Right? Yeah. But if you had to put this together or I had to put this together, I'd be like, oh, my God. And it's, it looks so effortless for mm-hmm. her, you know? Yeah. The way and the way you arrange things like that. Yeah. And all the folds and it's all like these patterns of cloth, like moving you in the right direction you're supposed yeah, to man. look at. It's crazy. So, yeah. And then we get to the meta mind. I love this. The guy sitting up in bed. I looked at that picture for a long time. It's just an old guy sitting up in bed, but there's just, yeah. it's so dynamic, even though it's such a still image. Start shoving my brain into that young body. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And like these doctors look like bizarre, like Hydra gangsters, like, you know. And then, uh, and then of course, the next time you see Omac, there's like, you know, like twelve people around him as he's punching through them to get to these to these to try to stop this transformation from happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's yep. where Buck Blue at the end feels bad about his girlfriend. Yeah, and then uh, oh, but isn't he? Um, he's gonna he's got a gun to Omac's head, but then he he backs down, right? Yep, he basically, I mean, basically what we find out is that Buck Blue is not a bad guy, and he has kind of a redemptive moment here. Because he saved his girlfriend. Yeah, he saved his girlfriend, like, he he doesn't try to shoot Omac, he did the right thing, you know, um, he used to be a bad guy, but now he's going to be a good guy, you know, he's he's leaning toward good. So then we get to Dr. Scuba, the ocean, so issue seven, also the cover, pretty legit, it's almost like they finally... Yep. Decided the covers mattered by issue six. But Dr. Scuba, the ocean stealer, this is so cool. This opening, he's in like a dry, 
pond or yeah, like a pond. Well, the or something. ocean is gone. And, yeah. Sorry, is, is it a lake or something? I forget. The lake. What it's called. Yeah. And the it's way that the the ground looks with all the creatures and it's all this like mossy, like it looks like the bottom. It looks like how a lake would look if it's like all took all the water away. Slippery. Yeah. And then and, this incredible thing happens where he looks down at this cube, this like, and he doesn't know what it is. So he starts to pull it up and it's so heavy. He can't pull it up. Yeah. Right. And then you discover, oh my God, it's all the water have been absorbed into this, like, what's it called? A, a hand-sized bar, they call it, of water. I you think know? that's what they call it. Yeah. I have to look, but yeah, that's such a weird, heavy idea. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like just one idea in one issue of a Kirby comic 40 years into his career. And it's like, oh, it's a whole body of water. The molecules are condensed into this brick this bar. And, and like, and this is way before like Mad Max or I'm sorry, Road Warrior, where the idea that water was like, you know, a rare commodity, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and and yet it, it's talking about climate change and all kinds of stuff in a weird way, you know, like and then later on, on the, the the machine that does Dr. Scuba, the ocean stealer, it, it, it puts on these gloves <laughs> to pick up this very heavy cube of water. Yeah, and he says, I can lift a million tons of water with these. The neutral and, gloves. And then he's the got a gloves. daughter. And his daughter's name is something weird, right? What's her seaweed. name? Seaweed. His daughter's name, and then he's basically like, like a daughter and an idiot son-in-law that he doesn't like. That's right. And he calls That's them right. fumble fingers, and um, oh, I he just, keeps dissing him. But then later on, his name is Apollo. I think. I don't That's know why. right. Yeah, he's got this yellow hair, and his name's Apollo. But I just love that, like Doctor Scuba on his own, just the design of him, and like I don't know why this is the guy who would invent this thing. You know, at one point we see that uh, Omac is lying in a bed. At the GPA, the rest center GPA, and it says vitamin light bath. You know, uh-huh. like again, he just threw that in the corner. If you see it, you see it. You don't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's but he's there. healing with it because he tried to lift the entire lake in the form of That's a brick. Right. He tried yeah. to recover that bar of water. But yeah, that so- you get Dr. Scuba as this really weird esoteric character, like on its own. That's great. And then that he has these two assistants that he has these sort of complex relationships with is just. It's and the you gift know, that keeps he on looks giving. Like, and I'd have to look up the movie, but he looks like Alan Arkin in a movie called Simon, hmm. which you should check out. And I don't know if that was done early 70s or not. And again, I keep trying to figure out where was Kirby getting some of his ideas. Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't live in a vacuum. You know, he loved pop culture, you know. Um, yeah, and then he. What happens here? So then he gets Omac gets to their base, which is on like a a a, like a rocky formation in the ocean. And then he gets blasted by Dr. Scuba and he's turned back into Buddy Blank, who we haven't seen since the first issue. That's right. And that's the cliffhanger. And then the last issue has a Joe Kubert cover. Yeah, because uh by the time uh Kirby left the series. They didn't have a cover yet. And I think he basically left DC at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is an atrocity because it doesn't end. It's such a It has more ideas. It even has more ideas of like, because you keep wondering, okay, he became Buddy Blank again, but what are we going to do with Buddy Blank? Right. And will he become OMAC? Right. And he, and then Mike Royer, but but Mike Royer's back. So Mike Royer's back. Great inking. 
And then you see what, I mean, Brother Eye makes an attempt to shoot, to re, you know, uh, interpolate um, Buddy Blank into OMAG. And, but Dr. Scuba basically makes him like kind of invisible and draws him into the middle of this tower rocky formation where their uh, home base is. And then for some reason, uh, I think Brother Eye kind of takes over and starts magnetizing all of the, the metal objects inside the hideout and is hurling them at Dr. Scuba. Meanwhile, where the hell is OMAC, i.e. Buddy Blank, who the last time you see him was on page 13, running away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just he's a regular just guy. Spot. And uh, yeah, guy but it's basically, yeah, like a throwdown between Brother Eye and Dr. Scuba using their different inventions. And right. then and one is artificial intelligence, one is mad genius. Yeah. Right. And it, it doesn't really seem like he knew this was going to be the last issue till like about two issues, bef- two pages before it ends. Cause it ends. This is okay. So I'm just going to say this because I've taught comics uh in classes and one thing i do is like the improv comic is like a warm-up for the first class just because like you have to do it so quickly it makes it less intimidating because no one does a good job you know and i always say when you get to the last panel you're not allowed to just have a big explosion because it's a cop out and everyone does it and that's how omac ends it's just and it's not even a big explosion it ends in a one ninth of a page tiny panel Explode. I well, mean, I like I'll, the sequence. I'll of... tell you what happened with the original panel was there. Oh, yeah. Because he wasn't finished. And I've seen this online and now I can't find it because I need to confirm. And I and I, I swear to God, I think this is how uh I've seen the panel and I think it's for OMAT. So it was another to be continued mm-hmm. panel. And you know what the title of the next story was? Ooh, I want to know. The Walking Dead. Oh, crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So how about that? And who knows what that was going to be about, right? I know. And I guess I guess if you think about it, The Walking Dead might have been hinting at Buddy Blank surviving or maybe dying and becoming something else. Who knows? I mean, you know? really, who knows? But yeah. we lose OMAC. We lose OMAC. We lose Buddy Blank. And even Brother I gets trapped by... A whole bo- bunch of like molten rock that was hurled at it, and it, it, it gets encrusted, so it yeah. can't even shoot out its beams and defend itself anymore. I love the sequence of him getting, and you know, worst of all, Doctor Scuba is killed, and that's a real loss for DC as a company. If I'm going to be honest, if only they can figure out how to resurrect characters in comic books. I know they'll never figure it out, but um, you know, maybe next year that'll be my. Uh, but yeah, thus concludes. Oh, so it just got canceled, basically, is what happened. But you're saying it got that, canceled, yeah. and I'm sure he had other ideas because, as you could tell by the the improv nature of the comic, he would just make another twenty pages up, you know, like in a week. You know, that's what he did. And mm-hmm. maybe it was good. Maybe he was running on overdrive, and maybe it was time to to stop and maybe reassess and and take a break. You know, like he did um, later on toward the end of his life create Captain Victory, right? Mm-hmm. And Captain Victory is kind of another, it's like a cousin to OMAC and Commandy. And in fact, I think there is even a panel in Captain Victory that actually confirms that Captain Victory is a part of the legacy of Commandy and OMAC. Oh. 
And that so, was with uh, a whole other company, though, right? I think it was Pacific Comics. It was an independent publisher. Yeah. So, so just to speak briefly, because I know we're going long, on on how this impacted me, this comic book. Yeah. Was, uh, you know Nick Bertozzi? Uh-huh. So Nick and I lived with each other at one point, and uh, we loved OMAC to the <laughs> point where we were like, yo, this ended on issue eight. Let's do OMAC number nine. Yeah. Let's pitch issue. And I think we even called it revolution number nine, you know, nice. uh, a little wink at the Beatles. And the character that we uh, kind of uh, pitched and invented was OWAC. We wanted to give OMAC a girlfriend, oh, one okay. woman army corps. Oh, right? yeah. And I forget, I, uh, Nick did most of the heavy lifting in the pitch. And it's it. I think it it was, literally was felt like an issue, like the, what could be the ninth issue, uh, and it went nowhere. We I think went to DC, and then we got a chuckle here and there, and it went nowhere, right? So that got buried somewhere. But it it always stayed in my mind the idea of, of like a, a a one woman army corps, like like I love the character of Omac. And when I was doing the Red Hook at Webtoon, which also then Image Comics published two volumes of, and the Red Hook, the short pitch basically is. Uh, the Red Hook is about a uh, super thief that is forced to become a superhero against his will or or he will die. During a time where uh, and he's granted the uh, the omni the omni fist of altruism from uh, like a demigod and it's granted like this really cool sword. And it's during a time where Brooklyn reveals herself to be sentient, uh, but is heartbroken by the toxicity of the world. So much so that she uh, elects to um, physically and literally secede from New York, ergo America, to start her own republic where art can be bartered for food and services. Mm. That's the short pitch, right? right? And that was basically season one. And in season one, the Red Hook has a girlfriend named the Possum. Her, and and her, her real name is Ava Bloom. And she's, she doesn't really have any powers, but she's another thief. And uh, she kind of, you know, navigates around her boyfriend, the Red Hook, who's going from kind of a, a bad guy, you know, not evil, but kind of like, you know, bad guy that's turning to a good guy. And she kind of likes this. Anyway, there's this character called the Invisible Light that comes in and is kind of another demigod and messes with it. You have to read the comic. But she, but Ava Bloom, spoiler, Ava Bloom, a.k.a. the possum, gets killed trying to save the Red Hook. Okay? The very last page of the story is Ava Bloom is sitting, uh, lying dead in, uh, not the operating room, where do you go when they embalm you and all that, right? Mm -hmm. um, the morgue? And, yeah. And she's about to be embalmed, and the last panel is her eyes open. Cliffhanger. Woo, what's going to happen? Who knows, right? Season two, volume two. So this is where I get to play with Omen. So I introduce a new character, this kid. This black kid orphan named uh, Rajak Allah, who's befriended all these superheroes, right? And in, and then uh, they like him so much, he becomes their personal photographer. And I was thinking like Billy Batson, right? Mm. A Billy Batson type character. And then what happens is that all the, there's an alien invasion, and all the superheroes get killed by these crazy ass you know aliens, and leaving the kid alone alive, but he's not a superhero. But there's this satellite in space hmm. that all the superheroes gave some of their DNA into this uh, kind of satellite that's going to shoot a power beam at the kid, like we've seen in OMAC and other comics. But when 
the kid becomes this character called Warcry. But who is Warcry? A version, an updated version of Ava Bloom, formerly the Possum, becoming kind of like this kind of vision-looking character. So I mash up these two characters because I wanted to play with the idea, again, of not only doing a matchup of Shazam and Omak, but also Firestorm. If you recall, Firestorm is a character that has two personalities. All right. Uh, yep. Uh, a, a guy and like a scientist, right? Yeah. Firestorm. I wanted to play man. with the idea yeah. of, of having kind of an identity crisis while being a human of mass destruction. So uh, when Warcry is no longer needed to help save people or whatever the situation is, she reverts back into him. Oh. And every time he shouts Warcry, like shouting Shazam, he becomes her. Okay. So this fun story. And then the Red Hook realizes wait, that's my dead girlfriend. What's going on? So he confronts this kid to try to talk to Warcry, who only exists to try to stop bad things from happening. So you have to read the second volume called Warcry to find out about that story. And that then goes into a third season called Starcross. Again, that's for your listeners to hopefully read. And it's all for free on Webtoon right now. If you go to Webtoon, the way you'd read the series is The Red Hook, Warcry, Starcross, then uh, four seasons called Blackout, which then goes into the, the last season, PTSD, which stands for Post-Traumatic Superhero Disorder. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's your stories for The Red Hook. Everybody rush out. And even though it's free, you should pay for it, I would say. Well, you know, when it's in print, hopefully I'll do an omnibus collection or something, but mm. you can't buy the first two volumes from Image Comics. Right on. And I, why wouldn't you? <laughs> um, do you have any final summary or thoughts about OMAC? You know, there's a part of me, I mean, yes, he's been resurrected. John Byrne did a four-issue miniseries with OMAC. Oh. Uh, there have been iterations of OMAC. In fact, when I mentioned Keith Giffen earlier, Dan DiDio and Keith Giffen did a series with OMAC. I don't think it's the Buddy Blank OMAC. I don't think. Uh-huh. Was that a New 52? That was like New 52, wasn't it? I think it was like New 52. There was like the o, there were OMACs that came out. They yep. were kind of like, I don't know. I don't know even know what they were, you know. Uh, but the actual Buddy Blank, I, there part, there's a part of me, like I was talking about before, me and Nick Fertozzi wanted to do the ninth issue. I like the where it ends. I like where it's, it is because you can just imagine in your brain what happens next? I don't think it ends there. Nobody believes it ends there. It's, it's clear it doesn't end that way. Uh, but it is a nice slice of Jack Kirby history, you know, and it and use it, you know, either as entertainment to read as a fun story or use it as a way to inspire your own ideas, you know, mm-hmm. because look at what a master was doing, like on a Friday night, he was doing OMAC, you know. And to me, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I wish there was more this approach. Like, I still like Marvel Comics and stuff, you know, but like, you can't just pick up a Marvel comic and get a story anymore. It's always like a little piece of a bigger thing. They're always basically at Marvel Comics are like you meet a you meet a guy and he's pretty cool and you might make friends with him. And you go to hang out one time and he's like, let's hang out all weekend. Let's go on a trip. Let's. And you're like, dude, let me just dip. Let's just get to know each other a little bit. Like right. they, they don't do the one and done at Marvel Comics right. or like 
and so that's one thing I love about these. You can you can just pick up one issue of OMAC. You don't have to read the whole thing. You don't need to read the whole thing to get a sense. And I also feel like if, if we're talking about you know it being kind of improv, it was also as disposable. It wasn't precious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't trying to figure out the long game. It literally felt like this is what happens next. And we're going to introduce a character on this page that suddenly he needs to, to meet now. You know, and so it's a little frustrating, I guess, as a craftsman. But for me, Kirby improv is is better than than most writers who can figure out the next 30 issues perfectly. Yeah, but the stories are so big, too. Like, I'd say each issue of OMAC would be like six issues now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They would explore every and then try to make it plausible and why it works and how that affects this thing (laughs) and that. And it literally was just like. Here's another disposable idea coming at you. Okay, throw that in your noggin and chew on it and then keep moving (laughs) forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm glad you read it, man. I'm glad you liked it because people could read it and be like, dude, I don't get this. I can't do this. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know who. I mean, they're so fun. It's helpful to have this podcast to have like a deadline for reading it, you know, like, oh, I got to read this by this time. But I really enjoyed it i mean it was a lot of fun and they're like a good end of the day thing to, you know this is better than looking at reddit for an hour or whatever at the Absolutely. end of the day so how, how how do you think this might inspire your future works that's a good question well i think i'm sort of a formalist you know i don't really do much genre work but i'm always just looking at like the line quality and the compositions and things like that and kirby is both so formal and i he's almost traditional in that he invented the traditions you know but um, he just is so like brave in his execution of things. Yes. So yes. just like you said, like just all these, I would, I have trouble drawing a bunch of figures all in a row like that. And then he's able to make it all fit together in this dynamic way. So it's mostly that to me, just looking at like the sort of formal structure. I think I would have a lot of fun trying to create something like this, but I just haven't really ever even been asked to do that kind of work you know right. like right. i i would make genre comics but i just never have explored that direction really right. yeah right. but do you feel like this maybe gives you permission more to and, and inspiration to to at least maybe do a six page off the wall mm. go off the cuff improv comic type thing it's a nice idea i mean comics are so hard to make for me yeah. and i've always had this sort of limitation of needing it a place to put it, which I think is why my, you know, career stuff has sort of guided my direction where it's okay. You know, this is uh there's funding for this or, oh, okay, this is a, a deal for this. So, okay, I'll do that. You know? So sure. I've been really bad about sort of just making comics for the joy or making something and seeing where it goes, you know? Sure. Um, sure. And my, my strength seems to be a nonfiction, but yeah, you know, I've always wondered, like I never have been like invited in to do anthology work and stuff. I always thought that would be such a good forum to just try stuff out. Like, Oh, yeah. this six pages Absolutely. in an anthology. So I don't know. And that's what I love about anthologies is for that very reason, because sometimes it'll experiment. Be like, okay, I may never do anything more with this. You know, I just created a character called Chest Face <laughs> that no one's seen yet. And it's, I think it's six pages. And man, I had a blast because I may never revisit that character or I might do another 200 pages. Who the hell knows? Yeah. You know, but it starts with a kernel of an idea. You know, it's going to go into this place that's going to have other stories next to it. And you see what happens. You just kind of you you, you kind of access a, a part of your creative like 
lizard brain or something where it's not about business and it's not yeah. about like, you know, uh, you know, perception. It just is. Well, and there's like a childlike wonder to this that I think I it's so funny to be so pragmatic and so serious in the pursuit of making comics, you know, like um, I would like to have more fun with it, I guess. So, yeah, I'd yeah, say it's yeah. very inspiring for that. Um, that is something to think about. Thanks for asking me yep. that. Yep. Um, so before we wrap up, we'll do some plugs, but you've already done a little bit of plugs. But my question for you, which is my question for every guest, is uh, if you could do a run on anything undeterred by editorial intervention, uh, and it could be collaborative or just you. I would imagine you'd be just you, but you tell me. Uh, what, what would it be? What would your dream run be? I mean, I think for me, it's the Fantastic Four. Because yeah. It's the comic I, I always go to. I still buy every every issue that comes out, you know, since I started reading the Fantastic Four when I was a kid. Um, it, it does, the, the, the older I get, the more daunting it feels, but I have <laughs> kind of hashed a plot that I would love to, to do one day. And concurrently, if it wasn't, or if I did the FF, really what I want to get at is telling more uh, of a thing story that, or maybe Marvel 2 and one bring back Marvel 2 and one with mm. a thing and a guest star, you know, that would be fun. And again, in terms of franchise comics, you know, um, yeah. I think everyone kind of might want, might want to do a Batman more than they would a Superman. Yeah, I feel like Batman is everyone kind of might have a, a Batman story or something they want to do, you know, um, and but I think when it comes to Marvel, it's probably the Fantastic Four, especially the thing. And, you know, uh, and I have I can say I have drawn canon Fantastic Four. I've drawn a few pages in in the series when they're doing like a little couple of flashbacks mm. to like. I don't know the 1970s FF as it were. Do you, do you remember what issues or who wrote it or? I don't remember. Uh, uh, Robinson wrote it. Uh, the James guy Robinson. Who, yes, James Robinson wrote it. When was that? Oh gosh, uh, not ten years ago, I don't think. But time is evaporating quickly. So it I hear you. It's probably been. It's probably maybe seven years ago. But honestly, I don't. I don't remember it. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, was that? Did that feel like a real landmark for you though to get to draw the FF? It, it did, and and yet, you know, it was only so many pages, so I only got to taste it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it is nerve-wracking because you realize, oh, this is the real Fantastic Four. This isn't like, like, because don't, don't forget, like, sometimes Marvel and DC uh, throw throw a bone at us indie guys and yeah. say, hey, you can do your version and we'll call it Strange Tales or Bizarre yeah. or whatever, right? And so you have more fun. It, 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 there's less pressure. But when it's real canon, and even though Different artists draw the characters differently, write them differently. It's just like, yo, this is going to be, this is real Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. So it's the the Wednesday Comics Monthly Fantastic Four. And that's your answer too, right? Or wait, what's your answer? For the run I would do? Yeah. Oh, no one's asked. I don't think anyone's asked me. Um, Yeah. I think I would do Spider-Man. I think Mm -hmm. I actually have an idea for a a run on Spider. I just think, and I do feel like if I, if I get to the end of my career and I never do a Marvel, probably Marvel more than DC, but if I never do any mainstream superhero thing, I'll be disappointed. So Mm. at some point I'm going to make a play, but yeah, Spider-Man, I think, and I would probably want to do an out of continuity, you know, like a, a, it's not a run, but a graph. No, or if I couldn't do Spider-Man, 
if I could do whatever I want, and I think I would do Speedball the Masked Marvel. I think wow. that that's such an untapped resource in the Marvel Universe of like Steve Ditko. That was the early 90s, right? He created this character that to me really, really worked and was just nobody ever did anything cool with him. Yeah, that's the last, um, unless it's Squirrel Girl. I think that's the last character he invented for Marvel. Cold, did cold. he invent Squirrel Girl? Yeah, I think huh. he did. Right on. Yeah, because I remember reading those comics when I was a kid, and I thought they were old comics being reprinted, but they were just new Steve Ditko comics. But (laughs) the secret identity and the sort of like pubescent, hard to hold back power that's bursting out of you and the, 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 the anxiety of keeping your secret. And I love that stuff, man. And yeah. it's such a cool, weird power. Like I like yeah. bouncing characters always. There's not enough bouncing well, he characters. He that so well. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. kind of like a iteration of Spider-Man in, in many ways. You know? Yeah, so. totally. It captured like the spirit and was also unique in its yeah. own way too. Yeah. So uh, anything you want to promote? What are you working on? All that stuff. Um, well, I don't know exactly when this is coming out, but I guess I can say, uh, I'm currently, uh, I just wrote and drew a short Conan the Barbarian story, Ooh. Uh, which will be coming out. Uh, I don't know. I think they've, they've named the publisher. I think Titan is publishing uh, uh, Robert E. Howard comics. Oh. And this will probably be part of an anthology. Uh, I might be doing a Superman Jimmy Olsen story next. No way. I might be doing that. I'm waiting for the script. We'll see. Nice. And if that happens and I do well, maybe I can get my foot back into the DC door, you know? That's cool. Uh, with some ideas. Uh, and then otherwise, I have uh, plots and stories for more future Red Hook stories. I've, I'm always developing other ideas. I um, I co-write, like, plays and, and scripts with uh, my Nightworks studio mate, Whitney Matheson. I've also been writing my own screenplays and I and uh, a play that I was supposed to have mounted March 2020 but be, was postponed because of the pandemic mm-hmm. it's called The War of Wu starring Seth Gilliam of The Walking Dead and formerly of The Wire mm. uh, that should be mounting uh, in the fall September October of this year is that what they call it when a play comes out it mounts I, I do believe it's it's called a mounting <laughs> I didn't sorry. know that I didn't know that <laughs> That's great. I like, I like the connotation. <laughs> it's good. It's it's very um it's, it's I would like to mount a play. Um and then <laughs> should I find you on social media or anything like that? Oh, I'm on Instagram and I have a Substack now. That's basically a, a monthly newsletter uh you know where I I hawk my wares and talk about cool stuff. So yeah, Dean Haspiel on Substack, Dean Haspiel underscore art on Instagram because somebody has Dean Haspiel, uh-huh. which is bullshit because I'm the only Dean Haspiel on planet Earth. But that's oh. how it goes. What is, what's on the, the Dean Haspiel Instagram? I, I'm probably a picture of my face that someone stole and may, maybe 13 of my friends friended it until they realized it wasn't me. Oh, you and know, that ac- that account reached out to me and said you were in, a, in another country and I wired you $800. That's not you? Shh. <laughs> Oh, I sent you my uh, all my credit card information. All your credit card. Oh man, it might have been me. I'm uh, not going to tell. Yeah, you wish it was you. I wish <laughs> it was you too. That's all right. Well, on that note, and, thanks. And I'm a prince of another country as well. So, oh yeah, well that I feel okay about. Yeah, <laughs> be money for that. I'll get it back. It's an investment. That's right. 
All right. On that note, thanks so much for doing the show, Dean. Always a pleasure talking with you. All right. That will bring this season of The Runs Comics Podcast to a close. Thanks so much for listening. That ends our run of 12 episodes. If you would like to hear more episodes, please let me know. I will do another season if prompted. It would be really helpful if you would share the show via any platforms you have or your in-person social networks even. If you rate and review the show on iTunes and Spotify, that's very helpful. And you can email me at ohyesverynice at gmail.com. That's O-H-Y-E-S-V-E-R-Y-N-I-C-E at gmail.com. Just let me know if you enjoyed the show or if you're interested in more. That'd be a really good prompt for me to do another season. And if I hear enough from people, then I'll get it together. I don't know what the timeline would be, but maybe sooner than you think. It's been really wonderful experience. I love reading and discussing comic books, and I've been really fortunate to get the guests I've gotten, and um, I would not say no to doing this again. Thanks very much to all of you. I hope you, like myself, spent a lot of time working and listening to podcasts, and this show has brought you some enjoyment during your own productive time or leisure time. Anyway, thanks very much. All the best to you.